Welcome to Premium Cashflow Real Estate Investing Podcast with Sakar Kauli. During this program, you will hear guest experts sharing their experiences, best practices, and market insights. We discuss investing in multifamily apartment complexes and how a busy professional can passively invest hassle-free in various opportunities. Your host, Sakar Kauli, owns millions of dollars of assets and has done thousands of value-add projects over 20 years now. So listen in for insights. Here's your host, Sakar Kauli. Welcome to another edition of Premium Cashflow Podcast. Uh, today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Mike Cooper from Ri Rising Tide Investments. Uh, thank you, Mike. I appreciate you coming on. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on. I'm, I'm excited to talk with you and your guests. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. Mike is a veteran uh, investor. He has done, you know, single family, multifamily. He's done flips, wholesales, you know, renovations. And boy, I mean, quite, quite a resume for sure. Uh, so Mike, uh, take a few minutes and if you can, uh, you know, share with the listeners your background and, uh, you know, sort of different things around your company. Yeah. So, the way I started off, actually, I graduated in 2008, which was, mm -hmm. if everyone remembers, an awful time to try and get a job. Sure. So I found myself uh, basically getting into sales unwittingly, not really wanting to, but it's the only thing that was offering a job and the opportunity. And I found that I actually was pretty good at it and I ended up liking it. I always mm -hmm. had that kind of, you know, that, that sleazy salesperson mentality uh, in the <laughs> back of my head that, you know, th this is something where people get taken advantage of. and I quickly learned that that is the case for some people, but the good consistent salespeople that are around for a long, long time and make a lot of money, they're actually problem solvers. And, sure. mm. and I, I got good at that. I got good at getting people to open up, explain to me what they're trying to do, understanding their needs, and then tying that back to how whatever it was I was selling, I could solve their problem. Mm -hmm. So mm. started off with copy machines, uh, moved into taxing accounting information. I worked with Thomson Reuters. And I had a few different positions with them while I was there because I kept wanting to try and do new things with them in more mm -hmm. pilot programs. Mm -hmm. So I learned how to do sales in person with copiers. I learned how to do sales over the phone by listening very well over the phone and then eventually evolved into a hybrid model. Mm -hmm. Now, when I was at Thomson Reuters, I actually paid some local investors in RIA Group to mentor me. They mm -hmm. kind of showed me the ropes on how to buy a passive income property because Ultimately, that's what my goal is. I want that sure. mailbox money. I want the you know, time and financial freedom so I can do what I want, when I want, with whoever it is I want. Sure. Mm -hmm. And it was back in 2014 that I bought my first rental. So I was mm -hmm. basically handheld through that whole process. Mm -hmm. um, but then I got the bug. And that's when I started. I bought two more properties um, within the next six months. Because I had a W-2 job. It was a little bit easier then. And at that time, you could still find deals. And, and not say you can't now, but it was less challenging to find opportunities on the MLS. Sure, sure, sure. So that's how I bought my first house. I, I ended up getting recruited into uh, pharmaceutical sales where mm -hmm. I was doing really well there. But during that time, I started recognizing it was a challenge to find homes on the MLS. So I couldn't get the deals that I wanted. I couldn't make the numbers work with what was going on. You know, competing with a homeowner mm -hmm. is usually a challenge compared to competing with, you know, talking directly to the, the seller. So I started exploring ways of how do I get directly in touch with them so I can go more off market and not pay as much money if possible. 
that's where really networking became a big part of my life. And, and I started really understanding that value is because um, I started just reaching out to local people that I found their information on, you know, bigger pockets, Facebook, wherever, uh, meetup.com. Sure. Mm-hmm. And through that, I found my partner in mm-hmm. wholesale. He was a flipper that was transitioning into wholesale because mm-hmm. he found that, you know, he hated dealing with certain things. If you're flipping like appraisers, mortgage contingencies, um, you know, requests, all this stuff that you don't have a lot of control over. Sure, so sure. I, using my scale skills, started working on the front end of the business. Mm-hmm, I was the one that would talk to the sellers. I would go out and see the house. I would evaluate the renovations necessary. And then I would negotiate a price that made sense. Mm-hmm. And then we would take that contract and go sell it to another investor sure. if they had the bandwidth because most investors don't necessarily have the skill set, time, desire, want, need to run a lead generation business. And sure. that's really, if you get down to the bulk of it, and, and I know a lot of people talk about wholesaling, but really it's a sales and marketing company. And our sure. widget is real estate. We're selling a piece of paper and the sure. rights to buy a house. Right, right, right. I, I'm, I'm glad you're kind of distilling it down to that, uh, you know, sort of fundamental level there. And that's where I think your sales skills, uh, uh, you know, kind of come into play. That, so that's, that's incredible. Uh, now, Mike, what does the business look like? What are the different uh, sort of arms of your company that uh, currently are in operation today? So we've had a few different variations of it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we kind of fell into the trap and, and it, maybe trap's the wrong word, but we fell into the idea that we had to scale like crazy. So we got our team really big. We had like 16 or 17 people on our team. We were in three states doing remote. And what we found was, or at least what I found was, I am not, I might be good at it, but I don't like to be a manager of people. I kind of expect everyone to have the same desire that I do, the same effort, um, the ability to learn quickly and adapt. And I found I didn't, I didn't love trying to, you know, coach people and track numbers and listen to calls. So we ended up scaling back down and we we were trying to run a pretty lean team right now. And and fortunately enough with COVID, we happened to have done that right before all the shutdown took place. So we got out of our lease at our office space. We, um, you know, let the people on our team go, just let them know, Hey, we're going small. We're not going to do the same volume we historically have done Mm because our goal is to keep more of the money. Sure. Mm -hmm. So the basic divisions of our company in the wholesale side is you have, an intake person, like a lead intake. Someone's going to introduce themselves or talk to that person as the first point of contact when they reach out to us or we connect with them about a house that they might be interested in selling. Mm -hmm. Then we have an acquisition acquisitions department where we either do it over the phone more recently because of the social distancing and and things like that. But historically speaking, we'd go out there, we do a visual inspection of the house, try to understand why they would be willing to sell to us at a discount and try to provide them that solution of, Hey, look, Yes, we won't pay the most money on the planet, but mm-hmm. we can solve problem A, B, and C, right? Maybe they sure. have to have it sold in two weeks. Maybe they uh, can't do the money to repair. Maybe they don't want people, like one person sold the house because they had a challenged uh, child that they didn't want people coming in out of their house for. So there's a lot of different reasons why sure. people would sell for a discount, but that's the acquisitions role is to negotiate a purchase price for our company to either buy it as a rental, as a flip, or as a wholesale. Mm-hmm. The next part of our business is dispositions. So that is our back-end investor. So if you're looking at it from the sales perspective, the front-end acquisitions is more of a business-to-consumer type of sale, Mm -hmm. where the disposition is more business-to-business because he is talking only with other investors who don't care what color the house is because they're going to change it. They don't care what it looks like other than their rehab budget, their profit potential, or their cash flow. 
Sure, so he, sure. he's in charge of handling closings, making sure we're working with the title company and selling those contracts to the other investors. <laughs> and then we also have a little bit of a project manager for the miscellaneous work we do in terms of rental rehabs or flips. <laughs> Interesting. Now, talking about the lead generation, Mike, uh, what are some of the things that uh, you guys do, uh, whether it is, you know, I guess, direct mail, emails, Facebook, all of that, like, what are the different channels you're using to generate all these leads uh, and, you know, kind of go after uh, different uh, distressed sellers? Really, it's all of the above. But what I've found is over my time that different strategies work better at different times. Mm -hmm. So we haven't sent out mail uh, probably since the beginning of the year because mm -hmm. people are locked in their house. They're, they were careful about what they wanted to sell. Mm -hmm. Here in Michigan, we had a complete lockdown. Real estate was deemed a non-essential activity. So we didn't want to spend the money just to spend the money. Makes sense. Right. Mm -hmm. Some of the other channels we do use like Google AdWords, pay-per-click style. So drive them to our website, pay a fee for every time they click through. Those tend to be uh, better leads, but mm -hmm. they're expensive at times. Sure. Uh, we do cold calling. We've done direct text messaging. Uh, we were doing ringless voicemail for a little while until it became real gray and probably not legal for the most mm -hmm. part. Um, I don't mm -hmm. want to speak on that. I know there's a lot of different opinions on it. Sure. Uh, what I found with ringless was it was just more time intensive than you would think because everyone and their brother calls you back and then you have to filter through a lot of different things that are usually just people that are upset that you called them. <laughs> um, you know, networking, I've had a lot of our buyers have actually worked with us on mm -hmm. helping liquidate some of their properties because they know we have a direct vein into other investors that are looking to buy and they don't have to show it a bunch of times or put it on the market or pay, you know, commissions and all that stuff. So yeah, I mean, the big channels historically have been, you know, your direct mail, uh, bandit signs have worked for us in the past. Again, we got in trouble with the code violation when we put a hundred signs up in one night in one city, they didn't <laughs> like us much then. Sure. Um, and that's kind of a lot of my experiences. We go real big and try it really aggressively and then scale back to the appropriate number. Mm -hmm. Historically, how it's done. And, and we found success with that for the most part, mm -hmm. but it's also gotten us in trouble in the past by overdoing it in certain ways and spending more money and waiting too long to recognize that it's not a profitable channel or that, you know, who moved my cheese, right? The cheese is sure. moved on us. And we've <laughs> got to start looking at a different way. <laughs> right, 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 right. That's interesting. And that's interesting. Now, give us a, se a sense uh, of, Mike, that what is like a average deal look like? Meaning, you know, a phone call comes in, you, you know, like the whole process. And, you know, if you can maybe share some price points on some of your sample deal, that'd be great. Yeah. So really, it can vary from time to time. It feels like they typically fall into three buckets. One, they're super hot. They're ready to sell right now. First person that get it out there or get them to sign a contract is going to get it. Hmm. So those are the ones that you have to drop what you're doing and make sure you're giving your time, energy, and effort to converting those. Sure. The next ones are warm. So they might be somebody that is wanting to sell, but maybe they're not realistic on their price point yet. Mm -hmm. or they haven't had enough pain yet. So these are people that we'll follow up with over time. Sure. And then the other ones are more of our cold leads. And mm -hmm. those are ones that we'll, we'll follow up with them over time, but it's just spaced out more. And mm -hmm. then we also partner with a few local agents and we refer them out. Because you know, oftentimes people might say, hey, well, if I don't have to do any work and I can get full retail value from a cash investor, mm -hmm. then let me call them. Mm -hmm. So sometimes they're raising their hand a little bit early for what an agent would get to. And we can put that in front of them and they have the best opportunity to get that listing where I am a licensed agent. I don't list anybody's houses for them. You don't want me to list your house for you. I'm not good at it, but 
I, I use it mostly for the access to the MLS. Also, sure. I can get the referral fees. There's different ways I think people work around that mm -hmm. marketing budget or whatever. But um, yeah, those are, I'd say the three different ways. So if they come in, answer the call, try to understand what it is, why they're looking to sell. Sure. Mm -hmm. We're really interested in the motivation. Why us? Why an investor? Why not list it? Mm -hmm. A lot of people get scared about asking that question. But right. when you ask that question, everybody knows an agent or thought of an agent. Like sure. you know, an investor is the last piece of their mind. If they're talking with us, they've already thought of that option. And for whatever reason, they don't think it's the best fit for them. Sure. Maybe they have unrealistic expectations. But asking that and understanding that question can give us opportunity to solve a problem. Sure. They don't want to mm -hmm. do the work. They don't have the money. They've got to move fast. They don't want to have their house go under contract for 60 days and it fall out last second because the financing fell through. Right, right, right. So we try to understand that. Then we set up an appointment to come look at the house. That's where we actually bring a contract with us. If it makes sense, if it's a win-win, we'll sign the contract at an agreed upon price. And then we then start marketing it to our buyers. So mm -hmm. we have a, a large list of investor buyers that will you know, check our emails, check their text message. They sign up and opt in to get notifications from us mm -hmm. because our deals are vetted most specifically for investors. So right. checking the MLS every day, you might get an opportunity here and there, maybe. Mm -hmm. But with mm -hmm. us, we're able to send out usually, you know, two or three opportunities a week. Wow, that's awesome. And also speaking of, you know, sort of the capital side of the business, Mike, uh, you know, as we all know that real estate is a great medium for, a lot of passive investors to kind of, you know, invest and obviously be supported by a strong, uh, you know, asset, like let's say a house and things like that. Can you maybe talk about how you are integrating passive investors in your business right now? Absolutely. That's actually the lifeblood of my business. And, and you know, I were talking about that a little bit before we hopped on, but sure. really I've never actually bought a house with my own money yet. Mm -hmm. I've been very fortunate in the position to have people that understood what I was good at and that I would be good at this from the early stages. So I got some of that initial investment from family and friends to buy my first rental. Mm -hmm. I was then able to refinance it using my W-2 job. But now that I'm no longer in a W-2 job, I do really work on building up relationships. I have a lot of private partners, lending partners that mm -hmm. are, you know, they're, they're tired of playing the stock market game. Because mm -hmm. while it does consistently go up over time, if you're retiring in three to five to 10 years and it has a crash, sure. then you're out. Like, yes, it's nice and cute that 8% over the annualized return of the entire time. Yes, it's there. But when you're ready to cash out, if your stock portfolio isn't looking great, there's no consistency. So I get a lot of my funding from family, friends, and then them recommending me to other people because sure. just like you said, if I don't make a payment to them, they could take a house back that I've already updated, put a tenant in place and have it property managed for me. And it's a basically hands-off thing. So the only reason I wouldn't pay them is if I'm a jerk or <laughs> for some reason or another, there is something that's wrong with the house, but, but I don't see how that would be possible if I'm doing my job. Right, right, right. And that's right. why I protect them. And I never put them in more than 70% of their value. But sure it allows them to get a more consistent return on their money because I pay out every, every month. So they get a monthly payment and it's actual money they can use. Now, if you're using a self-directed IRA or some kind of one of those passive income, you know, uh, tools, sure. not passive uh, retirement tools, you might not be able to get it right away, but you can accelerate the growth of your portfolio that way sometimes. So a lot of people are looking for that consistency and somewhat of that safety, right? All, all investing, there is risk. Don't get me wrong, sure. but I see this as safe. 
as safe as you can get in an investment because sure, I'm sure. protecting their, their equity position on the property. I am doing all the work up front. I have the team and resources and knowledge to make sure it's producing properly. Mm-hmm. And you know, if a company goes belly up and you're invested in their stock, you get nothing. Sure. If for some reason or other, I can't make a payment to you, I will walk the deed to your house. Like I'm not here to try and play games with anybody. Like it, it, I've never missed a payment in my life, but that's the credibility that you want as a lender too. Absolutely. Absolutely. I totally agree with you. Now for a uh, sample uh, of passive investors uh, that you have in your deal, can you maybe walk us through in terms of, you know, what that process looks like, whether, you know, your marketing or whatever, and let's say, you know, someone reaches out, you know, let's say they, they are into your deal. Uh, can you maybe uh, kind of walk us through, you know, how does that returns and plus also like, you know, when they get their money back and things like that, like what does uh, that look like? Well, that's the beautiful thing about private lending and working with me and people like yourself. It's all customizable. It's based on what they want. So I have certain people that I have basically interest only loans on that property and they want to be cashed out in three years. That gives me enough time to either refinance it, put together in a commercial package and have them, you know, bundled together. Mm -hmm. And really what I do is I try to understand the goals of my partners. Mm-hmm. So historically speaking, what happens mostly is a lot of them are just enjoying the interest only. Sure. So mm-hmm. that allows me to cash flow more and then use that time to build up the seasoning, depending on what your bank's requirement, your credit union requirements might be, mm-hmm. and allows me to get that seasoning in place, then refinance them out. Sometimes if I want to, I can pull equity out of the properties. You know, we've improved the value of most of the homes that I buy. Sure. So there's more money there available, cash them out, possibly bring some more money in to help keep funding the, the marketing channels. Mm-hmm. But I've, I'm super flexible on that. Um, I mean, ideally, perfect world, a 30-year, you know, 3% interest like a conventional mortgage would be awesome. But not everyone wants to invest that long. And that's sure. why I, I'll throw a balloon on there if they want it. And if people aren't familiar with what a balloon is, it basically means that at a set period of time, you have to pay the remaining balance of sure. that loan. Right. So I really try to set up, and it goes back to almost when I'm buying houses. Mm-hmm. I need to understand their goals. And I need to understand what they want. And then if an opportunity arises that fits their goals and the numbers work where that investment can work for the, the deal, mm-hmm. them and me, that's where I pull the trigger on it with that particular lender. Sure. And, and I just kind of know who wants what and how they want to invest. And that way I can present the right opportunities to the right people at the right times. Sure, sure, sure. I mean, thank you. Thank you for that clarification, Mike. So it's, it's safe to say that depending on what the goals of the passive investors are, they could be anywhere between one to two to three years, uh, you know, depending on the project. Would, would that be a correct statement? Correct. Now, usually I do like to try and get at least a two to three year commitment um, sure. on it, right? If something happens and you need your money back, I'll do everything in my power to get it back to you. Sure. But mm-hmm. as you know, right, in passive investment, if there's a market correction, sure. we care about the cash flow. We don't care about the, the value. I mean, to a degree, we care about the value, but we're looking at what is the money spitting off every month. Sure. So as long as it can sustain it through a down and an uptick again, that's why I try to get a longer term if possible. But I have enough of a network and, you know, anybody that's interested, I mean, happy to talk with them. But the thing is, I have enough of a network that I could probably replace those funds relatively quickly if necessary, mm-hmm. um, right? Not going to happen tomorrow overnight. But the goal is always to try and make everyone whole when necessary. But that's part of the reason why you have an agreement too, right? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I feel like if people don't communicate enough or over disclose, that's where you can get in trouble. So sure. that's why I spend so much time trying to understand what their goals are, what could happen and let them know, look, I'll, if you need it back, I'll try, but I can't promise anything 
That's why we have this contract in place so I can take other people's money or your money somewhere else if you have extra to invest in other properties and projects. Sure, 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 sure. Now let's talk about some price points, um, Mike. Like, w- what a pr- typical deal looks like. Like, you know, uh, in your market, like how much is the purchase, and perhaps like you know what sort of wholesale fees you are getting, and then uh, you know what are some of the time fr- time frames also around some of the wholesaling. So Michigan is a somewhat unique market. Um, we don't have the highest price points on the planet sure. uh, or the country, obviously. But really what I've been finding is we tend to have two status brackets and then a third bracket that uh, I'm getting good at utilizing, but not many people do. Mm-hmm. So there's the rental market. Sure. Mm-hmm. Here in Michigan, we have incredibly high property taxes. Mm-hmm. Uh, for like a $50,000, $60,000 house, you're looking at two or three grand a year, wow. which is mm-hmm. high. Right. Then we also have a lot of cities that when the last crash took place, they decided to turn landlording into a profit stream. So they have continual and regular inspections for rental certificates. Mm-hmm. And that can be once a, once a year, once every two years, once every three years. I think that's the longest one that's out there. But basically every time they come in, they just keep tagging you for reinspection fees. Mm-hmm. So that's the lower market, the, the rental market. Most mm-hmm. investors here don't want to be all in for more than 70 grand just because of those circumstances. With three grand right. property taxes, if you're paying about 100 bucks a month in property management, mm-hmm. still cash flowing, but it gets, it gets squeezed. And then our insurance rates, are, I don't know if they're high or low or not, but I mean, you got to budget you know, 50 to 100 bucks a month on that as well. Wow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's-, that's really where the price points I try to be at for my passive income stream. Mm-hmm. Second, um, and, and on those, we, we also assign a lot of those through wholesale. Sure. Um, then the other bracket is more of your flip market. For mm-hmm. us, where we found the most success in that is usually in that hundred dollars to $200,000 price point mm-hmm. that can sell up to two fifty. dollars That's usually where we're finding the most flipping market because anything less, you're not going to make the returns you want for the risk. So a lot of our flippers want to make, you know, somewhere between 15 or 20% of ARV after all of your expenses, your acquisitions, your holding, your rehab costs. So that's the second bucket. And out of those two buckets, we average approximately, you know, $12,000 in assignment fee. So mm-hmm. each deal we get that and we're spending about say two to four grand per deal cost in terms of marketing, employees, overhead, things like that. Mm-hmm. Now, the third bucket that I'm actually really intrigued with lately uh, is the creative space. I so see. that mm-hmm. space between that sixty and $100,000, if you can buy it and then sell it on seller finance via a land contract or another state's contract for deed, mm-hmm. now I can start charging 9 10 11% interest on these homes. They don't have to be as renovated as a flip because these are the people that need a non-traditional type of lending to qualify. Now I still follow a process, you know, a background check. I use a, a, a qualification company that makes sure that their income supports it, but maybe they had a bankruptcy. Maybe they had a medical bill that, you know, got them out of whack and they don't quite qualify for, I mean, right now, last I heard it was 700 credit score for Chase. So <laughs> Offering that up, I could turn that into a cash flow stream. So now I'm getting a down payment up front. I'm mm-hmm. making money on the interest each month. And mm-hmm. then whenever it is they cash me out, if they do cash me out, I'm making a profit on that because I'm using the amortization schedule that banks use anyway. 
<laughs> now I've found a way to make that in between no man's land into a profit center. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice, nice. Now, uh, I want to ask a, a, rela- a related question there. Um, uh, Mike is that a lot of times I've heard that a lot of investors have pivoted into what's called a, uh, I think it's like a hoteling, meaning, you know, it's not, you're not just like completely wholesaling as is. Maybe you do some uh, minor uh, cleanup and spruce up and, you know, like a, uh, maybe a quick paint job or something. Have you tried that or what are your thoughts on some of that? So it's, it's actually a really great model. Um, the thing is, I, I detest flipping. I've gotten burnt a few times trying to flip houses, me and my mm-hmm. partner. And, and I don't like it. I don't like the whole process. I don't like managing contractors. It's something that's not in me to do long-term, but wholetailing actually is a really great strategy. Um, funny enough, we had a buyer back out last week before the fourth and he just backed out. So we ended up buying it mm-hmm. and we're going to put it on the MLS doing nothing to it because it's in a, in a community that people really desire. It has two kitchens. So a lot of the times that people live there, they have multiple families that live together. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be a, quite attractive. It's going to end up working out for us. But in the original phase, you know, I, I like to take as le- least amount of risk as I can to get the most return. But on this one, we even try to get a new buyer on it because we had some backup offers. We're like, all right, well, we have to buy it tomorrow. This guy just backed out. So, you know, we just funded it real quick, you know, had to scramble the jets a little bit to get the financing and all that stuff, you know, put in the right spot. Sure. But we're going to just gonna put it on the MLS. The, the owner has a 14 day occupancy period. So uh, on the 15th, they will be out and this will be on the MLS and we're going to do the wholetail strategy. I see. Nice. So what I would caution people on a little bit with that though, is it goes back to flipping is if you can't sell it the way you expect and with the whole uncertainty in the market right now with, you know, COVID, what, how, how's that going to impact pricing? How's it going to impact people's jobs? I'm worried about a little bit of a correction coming. I mean, it feels like it's been building, building, building for quite some time since our last sure. recession. Mm-hmm. This might be the thing that pushes it over. I'm not a fortune teller. I don't know. But wholetailing has been a good strategy because if you can, can't make it numbers work necessarily for a flip or you can't make it as an assignment through a wholesale deal, mm-hmm. there might be opportunity there, right? You're, you're, you're selling it at a discount to a homeowner, sure. mm-hmm. but it's got to be able to pass inspections. Mm-hmm. So that's right. where some of the trickiness comes up. And, and I always say to people, if you're going to wholetail, be ready to flip it if you have to. Because right. if it doesn't sell and it doesn't sell quickly, everybody seems to know if you have a house on the market for an X amount of period of time and it seems weird, everyone starts going, well, why is it on the market? What's wrong with it? Right, 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 right. There must be something wrong with it, right? <laughs> exactly. So I do like the wholetail model. We've made good money on that. A lot of people made good money on it, but you really got to look at the, the stuff that's going to miss an inspection, right? Is there crack concrete? At least here in Michigan, I can only speak for that. Like, is there crack concrete? Is the electric bad? Is the, sure. you know, if there's minimal stuff, like you said, carpet, paint, like, easy peasy that can be done in a weekend <laughs> right 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 but no, if you're absolutely. changing out cabinets you know restructuring reframe whatever like you want it to be like the way i look at it is it's grandma's house right i see mm-hmm. it's old it's dated but it's well maintained it's well kept up it's just not the brand new everything right 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 awesome awesome uh now uh share with uh, our listeners uh mike like what is some of the best advice you have received so far in the business like whether it was veteran investors or fellow uh, colleagues that perhaps you you have recently heard from can you maybe share with the young listeners what what are some of the best pieces of advice you have gotten in the sort of the investing game so far this is something that hasn't necessarily been told to me but it's been it's i've been learning it 
don't chase the shiny objects. Mm -hmm. There is a reason that things are new. And sometimes you can be the early adopter and buy into Facebook, right? Mm -hmm. But there also is about a million other things that you could have bought into that went to zero. Sure. So mm -hmm. some of those things, like I've done it, and, and the reason that it's coming from experience is I've tried to be an early adopter in a lot of different opportunities, right? Getting on Facebook marketing, um, you know, the, the ring list, like hiring like crazy, trying to scale. Like, so I've done a lot of that stuff. What I would recommend, and, and probably the best piece of advice I've ever gotten is making sure you understand what your goal is. Sure. And mm -hmm. if you have something that comes into your, your lane, is it something that helps you get to your goal or is it a nice to have, not a need to have? Because sure. mm -hmm. this business, there, I mean, that's the beauty and the downfall of real estate investing is there are so many different ways to do it. Sure. So mm -hmm. understanding what your goal is, right? Mine is time and financial freedom. That's why I took the time to learn the creative space because that's sure. adding to my cash flow. Absolutely. But when I was chasing down trying to flip a house, realizing I hate it, like, right, cause that's cause I don't like doing that. I don't want to have to manage a bunch of contractors all the time. I don't want to manage a bunch of people all the time. So understanding what the end goal is. And then if there is a shiny object, is it going to get you close to your goal or is it going to, is it like a, a cash grab? Cause if it's a cash grab, this is a long-term game. Like I, I I've been sprinting for long enough that I recognize that you can't sprint forever and you have to make strategic choices about what it is you're trying to do with your investing strategy, whether it be you're a lender, you're a passive income, a wholesaler, there's ways to tie it all together, but you've got to know what is the priority. If you have to pick between task one, two, and three, which one's going to get your, your attention? Right, right, right. Awesome, awesome. And one last related question uh, now that you brought up all the management of the business and stuff, Mike, that goes on. Are you using uh, mostly like uh, assistants in your office or are, do you have any like virtual assistants integrated uh, in your business? Yeah. So back to the point earlier, we scaled down right before the, the whole pandemic. And um, right now I have a, a sales assistant, VA, she actually grew up in South Carolina, but lives mm -hmm. in Costa Rica now. She is a little more expensive than the Filipino uh, VAs, but she also has impeccable English. She has a very good profile for sales. So I'm trying to groom her into taking over my position in the conversations. I found that my unique ability is to talk with people in sales. So I still have myself in that role in our business because I mm -hmm. like it. But sure. she helps narrow down the amount of work I have to do by qualifying them. And, sure. and then I listen to her calls and we had training actually this morning. We do it once a week for like three, four hours. And we really just kind of dig into calls. We, we have her listen to me on calls. I listen to her on calls. So I have one assistant. Um, I'm running the acquisitions. We have a dispositions manager and he is local. He's actually been with us from the beginning. Funny enough, he came from my company at Thomson Reuters um, <laughs> back then. He, he, I didn't really know him at the time, but... Um, he's a soldier. He is, I, I love the guy. He is, he will die for us. I mean, that's the thing. It, it, you know, we're in the war together. Mm -hmm. And then my partner who does most of the project management. Sure. So we've got a team of one, two, three, four. Yeah. Four people. And then we also have a bookkeeper because nice. none mm -hmm. of us, I mean, my partner and I were visionaries. If you read tracks or anything like that, sure. we're not great at details. And basically just being able to text a receipt to my bookkeeper or using, I think they're using receipt bank now. Um, just be able to text it to him and say, Hey, this is what it's for. And then never have to think about it again is wonderful. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you for your great advice. Uh, Mike, I appreciate it. Uh, please share with the listeners how they can find you and learn more about your company. 
Yeah, well, you can find me in any of the social media. I'm at the Mike Cowper. That's C O W P is in Paul E R. And um, you know, we do have a, a mastermind for experienced investors. If you're interested in learning more about that, you can go to beinthisroom.com. Um, we're, we're, we're intentionally trying to keep it small just to kind of build that community and network. And it's really focused on building a better business. That's why I, I, we've got a lot of spokes in the wheel of real estate sure. and making sure people have an identified goal, but then using all of the resources to capitalize on the most opportunity possible while staying on your, your lane. So we really focus on that. And, and if you want to send me an email, I am uh, Mike period Cowper, C-O-W-P-E-R at we buy B-U-Y-R-O-I.com. Um, feel free to shoot me an email. And if, and if you're interested in buying a house from us as a wholesale deal, you can go to webuyroi.com. Or uh, if you feel like you want, want to lend here in Michigan, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> great, great. Thank you. Thank you for all your insights, Mike. I appreciate it. Uh, thank you for coming on today. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Premium Cashflow Real Estate Investing Podcast. Please join us at premiumcashflow.com to sign up for weekly updates, research articles, and more. We will see you again for another great interview with an expert guest. <music>